following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Glory to God. Glory to the living God. I want to, I need to be more like Jesus. I want to, I need to be more like Jesus. I want to, I need to be more like Him. Sing it again to the Lord. I want to, I need to be more like Jesus. I want to, I need to be more like Him. Remember there's no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend, for a friend. I want to, I need to be more like Jesus. I want Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The message the Lord has given me 
like Jesus. Almighty God, as I speak your word tonight, would you quicken it in our hearts? Lord, I ask that I would be clean before you by the blood, that the word spoken will be from your heart. Thank you, mighty King. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to be like Jesus. That's my heart desire. But that's dangerous because I also like rum raisin ice cream. And I like cars. And I like scuba diving. And I like sailing. There's a whole lot I like. So if my liking to be like Jesus, my wanting to be like Jesus is the same as my wanting to be scuba diving. How often do I get to go scuba diving? I think the last time I was able to do it was four years ago. Well, I had ice cream more recently. I think that was about a week ago I had one scoop that I shared with my sweetheart. Well, then how about being like Jesus? Do I get to do that once a week? Do I get to do that twice a week when I come and meet with you all? So I get my lick of ice cream and I get my lick of Jesus. And then that's enough. Is that what it's about? Is Jesus simply one more consumer item in my life? Or is Jesus my life? Let me go back and share some history. In the early years of the 1800s, moving all the way through into the late 1800s, there was a movement, and it was called the Holiness Movement. Today we have only a remnant left of those who called themselves holiness and most are not very holy. But there was a holiness movement, and at the very heart of this holiness movement was a fire that was sparked and flaming in the souls of men and women across America and Europe as well, where they were crying out to be totally consecrated to Jesus, to be totally consecrated to Jesus to be given to Jesus, to have nothing of their own, but everything be given to Jesus, that they would be like Jesus. Now, this was not a lifestyle issue for them. It was their entire life. There was a flame in their heart that said, I want to be totally, completely sanctified. What does the word sanctified mean? To be holy, to be set apart, for God's own use. Now today, many of you are set apart for your jobs. You're set apart for your schoolwork. You're set apart for your hobbies. You're set apart for whatever it is that attracts your heart. And part of what's happened in the last 80 years in America is a devastating theology that has come in and taught a lie that has utterly stripped the American heart of its desire to be like Jesus. And that's eternal security belief. You realize the holiness movement had no eternal security ideas. The great reformers, Charles Finney and others, were raised in the Calvin, uh, Calvinistic viewpoint. They believed in eternal security. But it wasn't long until... Charles Finney began to recognize that there was no grace in that position, that it led to cold formalism. It led to ritual worship. It led to a love of worldliness. And he cast it aside. And he adopted the Wesleyan perspective that said it's possible in this age, in this time, to be totally sanctified to Jesus Christ and to have the stream of your life not constantly flowing to darkness, but the very stream of your life flowing toward the heart of Jesus. Now, these great holiness reformers said that if you will finally make a clear consecration to Jesus, 
you will then no longer spend your time struggling with sin. You'll no longer spend your time struggling to get ahead in the world. Suddenly, great time and energy will be released for the work of the gospel. And many of them held to a very simple formula that I want to share with you tonight. It was a three-step formula. Consecration, totally given over to Jesus Christ. Time, money, no longer owning anything, no longer claiming anything, no longer saying, this is my time. I mean, totally given over to the Lord Jesus Christ, totally consecrated, nothing withheld. That was step number one. Step number two was faith. Well, what was the faith for? The faith was for the empowering of the Holy Spirit to live a godly life. The confidence that I could obey Jesus by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and that he would flow his life into my mortal body. In other words, my body is now dead. My body is now dead. And I now trust the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to come in and I confess, Jesus, I am empowered by you to live a godly life. I am empowered by you to no longer turn against you. Now, number three, testimony. Now, today, when we call for a testimony service, there are very few testimonies. And the ones that are given are usually not very passionate. Well, why is that true? Because there's a lack of consecration and there's a lack of faith in confidence. So if there's no victory, how do you have testimony? Instead, you need a repentance meeting. So today we need a repentance meeting a lot more than we need a testimony meeting. We'll have the testimony meeting after the repentance meeting is finished. Now, please understand what I'm trying to say tonight. It is possible today to live in the heart of Jesus. And we've been lied to. We've been told you're always going to be that same person. You're always going to be filled with those feelings. You're always going to feel that guilt. You're always going to feel that sorrow. You, you're, you, you're never going to recover. In fact, you're always going to have to go to the support group in order to get support so you can live your life. And now church has turned into some big support group. Well, that was never the design by the Lord Jesus of what the church was supposed to be. The church was supposed to be men and women victorious in Jesus Christ, sharing a testimony that would inspire others to go to the cross and consecrate themselves fully to the Lord Jesus. Then daily men and women are being added to the body. I mean, who wants to be added to the body that stinks? Who wants to be added to a body that's dead? Don't graft me into some dead old tree. Then I constantly have to bring to it my energy and my time. There's no life. The holiness movement through the whole 1800s resulting finally in the great prayer meeting revival that occurred in Washington, D.C., after the great crash in 1929, that great prayer meeting revival that shut Washington down from 12 until 2 every day as men and women gathered, they packed Constitution Hall on their faces, pleading for God's mercy. The great prayer meeting revival was the final gasp of the holiness movement. And then everything moved into institutional forms and everybody kind of set up their camp. The Pentecostals emerged and, and, and the whole belief began to flow out of this Pentecostal movement that you could have the Holy Spirit immediately and speak in the tongues and then you were filled with the Holy Spirit. The problem is the power had gone. So today many Pentecostal churches say, oh, just come and, and practice, prime the pump, just say nonsense and then suddenly you'll be speaking in tongues. Problem is there's no power. 
We need a, a return to the ancient past of total consecration to Jesus Christ, of total selling out for Jesus. Now let's go to the scripture, and I want to share this with you from the word of God. And the first passage of scripture we're going to look at is found in 1 John. 1 John, the second chapter. 1 John, the second chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. It does not say we know that we we know that we have come to know him if we struggle with his commands. It doesn't say that. So it's saying there is a place of victory that is available for us. There's a place of victory that is beyond constant struggle to live a godly life. I was taught that I was always going to have to struggle to live a godly life. That's a lie. We don't have to constantly struggle to live a godly life. There is a place in the Holy Spirit, in the blood of Jesus Christ, where full victory comes to us. And this is the part the old timers used to call praying through. What were they praying through? They were praying through every issue in their life that prevented them from entering the heart of Jesus. So if money was the issue, they prayed through until the surrender came on the money issue. If a husband or wife or a man or a woman was an issue, they would pray through until God gave them victory regarding that situation. If it was health, they would pray through until they gained the victory. If the problem was their horse, they'd pray through about their horse. You realize their horse was their transportation. It was their car. In other words, whatever was causing them to be distant from Jesus, to be focused on their own agenda, to not be consecrated. So if there's any area tonight in your life where you are anxious, you are concerned, it is absorbing your time and your energy, it is preventing you from being at the feet of Jesus, that thing for you is sin. And it has to be prayed through. And victory can be won. Then you'll have a testimony. For some of you, it's past memories. Things that have happened to you that cause you agony of heart. Those old things in the past have to be brought to the throne of God and prayed through, cried through, shouted through until Jesus comes by the power of the Spirit and sets you free. See, the blood of Jesus is enough. In the blood of Jesus, there is total deliverance, total victory. No sin can stand before the blood of Jesus. No rebellion can stand before the blood of Jesus. Jesus is enough. Parents, let me say this. No rebellious child can stand before the blood of Jesus. Parents, let me say it again. No rebellious child can stand before the blood of Jesus. Husbands, no rebellious wife can stand before the blood of Jesus. Wives, no rebellious husband can stand before the blood of Jesus. Do you hear the good news I'm speaking tonight? If your heart is to be totally consecrated to Jesus... And if you are willing to put into his hand all that you are and all that you'll ever be, if you are willing to renounce all ownership of your life, and you are willing to put into the hand of Jesus, there is nothing that can stand against the blood that will cover your heart. And then you have victory in Jesus. And you have something to sing and shout about. 
you have something to testify about that will electrify. Now follow. Verse 4. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. Now, what I want you to hear is that if you want love to be manifested in your heart, there's only one way for that love to enter in. And that is by total consecration to Jesus Christ. Now, Satan will lie to me and say, if you give everything to Jesus, he'll take it and leave you with nothing. If you give everything to Jesus, you're going to lose that precious entertainment. You're going to lose those precious CDs and videos. If you give yourself totally to Jesus, you're going to lose that lotto deal. You're going to lose everything. You're going to become a slave. I mean, doesn't he say that we're do-loss slaves of the Lord Jesus? Yes. But I want to tell you, the lie of Satan is that you're going to be miserable. The truth is, as you give yourself in consecration to Jesus, the joy and the love of Jesus will begin to spring up in your heart. Kierkegaard, the philosopher, the Danish philosopher, fell in love with a woman, and he won her heart. And then he decided he really didn't love her that much after all. And so he began to treat her very rudely and very poorly in order to cause her to get fed up so she would break off the engagement with him and he would look good and she'd look bad. And of course, this is what happened. She finally got fed up with his rude treatment and she broke the engagement. And then the Lord began to convict his heart and he wrote, what has happened in the Christian church that a man can call himself a Christian and so horribly treat a precious one of Christ? And it caused him to totally turn against the church of that day and begin writing scathing rebukes, saying there has to be an experience of God in my heart. It's not enough that I have just propositional truth. There has to be an experience in my heart. Tonight, do you have that experience in your heart? Is there a flame of fire burning in your spirit for Jesus? Some of you nod your heads, yes, I praise God. Some of you have almost blown out that little flame. And you've been absorbed in the world. And you like Jesus like you like ice cream or like you like scuba diving or like you like something else. And when you can get a little bit of Jesus, you'll show up and get a little bit. Give me a lick of ice cream and give me a lick of Jesus. It's not going to work that way. It's demanding total consecration. A total selling out. A total giving over. And experiencing of the total love of Jesus. And that only comes with total obedience to him. When I step into that obedience, the love is open before me. Listen to this in verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So in other words, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you must walk as Jesus walked. You must be like Jesus. Then we go to Ephesians. We go to the book of Ephesians, and there we find the same truth is being taught. Look at the fourth chapter. Verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What is the calling that you have received? Look at the fifth chapter. Verse 1, be imitators of God. So the calling we have 
is to walk like Jesus walked. To be an imitator of God. The call is total consecration. And so tonight I need to just stop for a moment and ask you. Is there a flame of fire in your heart that says I must be like Jesus? That Jesus is everything for me. That all I desire is my Lord God of heaven. All I desire is Jesus. I must have him. He is the pearl of great price. And if I don't have him, I'm going to die. You see, you'll never wake up at four o'clock in the morning and get up and read the word and pray. Unless you have a hunger in your heart to be like Jesus. Anything that's inconvenient will turn you aside unless you have a heart to be like Jesus. And everything in our culture today is oriented to dulling and to numbing us out and to preventing us from having a hunger for Jesus. The videos, the television, the sporting activities, the tree of knowledge has blossomed and grown among us until it is totally surrounding us. At every moment, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is shimmering before our eyes, saying, I'll give to you all that you desire. Just pick me and eat me and see if I am not going to give to you the gift of life. The new car shimmers. The new house looks gorgeous. Everything is geared to attract us, to entice us. The new clothes, the new this, the new that, the security, the retirement, the comfort. Everything is geared to say, if you want to be secure, then come the way of the world. Do the things of the world. Plunge into the dissipation of the world. And there's only death there. There's no life. So I'm calling you tonight by the word of the living God to be an imitator of God. As dearly loved children, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are called to lay our lives on that altar, to be totally consecrated and not to withhold anything. Now, please let me tell you what is most difficult for me. The money deal was not hard for me. I could lay that down. We went off salary and we trust Jesus for our money. Money is not an issue for me. Retirement, I cashed the retirement out. I let that go. It's not an issue for me. That was easy for me. It's not easy for others, but for me, that part was easy. I could give up success and say, okay, I don't need to be successful. I need to be faithful. I could give that up. I don't need to accomplish anymore. The ambition has been removed from my heart. But let me tell you what's hard for me. What's hard for me is to give up my ideas. Because I've made my home in ideas. Arguing them. Debating them. Tweaking them. Always searching for more understanding and more information to help shape more clearly my ideas so that I'm a husky, strong man in the realm of ideas and concepts. I'm a cerebral man. I could give up the outward life, but it was the inward life that has been so tough for me to give up. How do I give up my favorite novels that have such grand Wonderful horizons. How could I give up the, the ideas that I've held dear about who I am and what my role in life is? How can I give up my identity? I worked so many years, spent so much money going to conferences and, and retreats and psychotherapy. and I mean, I did it all to become equipped as a pastoral psychotherapist and to get a clear sense of identity and, and to build up my self-esteem and, and feel good in my own skin. How do I give up all that? 
Oh, and some of you, I can hear you say, well, pastor, you don't have to give that up. Wrong. All has to be laid on the altar. All has to be given over into the hand of the Lord Jesus. All of my dreams and all of my visions, all of my desires, all of my identity has to be poured out on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because now I'm to have his identity. I'm to have his vision. I'm to have his goals. I'm to have his way of working. I'm to have his way of functioning. I'm not to have mine anymore. Now, what do I do when I've lived in this body for some 50 years plus? This is who I am. You treat me a certain way and I have a certain button I push inside. An anger button. Or a fighting button. Or an arguing button. Or an evaluation button. And say, don't spend time with with that man. That's a waste of time. Get him out of the way. Next. Now, I was raised with a sales philosophy. Some will, some won't. So what? Someone's waiting. Any of you raised in that philosophy? I want to tell you that's darkness. If Jesus had treated me that way, I would have been left broken by the side of the road. And in his great mercy, he reached out to me. He didn't cast me aside. He didn't say, oh, I see what's in you, Ray. You might as well just forget following me. No, instead he put a flame of fire in my heart that had a passion to follow him. And sometimes I did, and most of the time I didn't. And he still forgave me. And he still called after me. And he still put a a flame in my heart that said, there's got to be a way. And then he began to open for me in the scriptures his way. And it was a way of holiness. It was a way of consecration. It was a way of dying to myself. Dying to my ideas, dying to my process, dying to my way of doing things and saying, now, Ray, come, I'll teach you my way. Chapter six. Verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I want you to hear this. Your struggle is not against yourself. We've been taught that we're the enemy. We're not the enemy. I have felt for years as though I were the enemy if I just do it right. But I couldn't do it right. But the scriptures say you're not the enemy. It says we're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're not fighting against yourself. It says here that you are fighting against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So they have come to you and they have tricked you and they have said to you, you are a bad person and you can never follow Jesus. You can never be clean. And it is true. We are all sinners. But when we accept Jesus Christ, awesome gift, we are what is called born again. And from that born again point forward, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. And we are no longer fighting now against ourselves. We are fighting now against the principalities and powers of evil that rule this world. And now he says, get your armor on. Get your armor on. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Now, how are you going to stand firm? You're going to have a belt of truth buckled around your waist. 
Well, what is the buckle of truth? Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, as you begin to approach this day of evil that is coming against you, you do not have to succumb to it. You've been given victory in Jesus. You will only fall if you have cast aside Jesus Christ. A dear brother said to me, I'm constantly filled with thoughts of lust. How do I deal with these thoughts of lust? I used to live in this. I don't live in it anymore. I want these thoughts of lust gone. How do I do it? The answer is very simple. Think on Jesus. Begin to say, Jesus, Jesus. Your mind is going to have to say it can't deal with the remnant of evil if the name of Jesus is being lifted up in your heart. You don't think pornography and Jesus at the same time. So this truth that is buckled around your waist is your first defense against the day of evil that comes against you. And that is the full surrender and consecration to Jesus Christ. And with that consecration to Jesus and you speaking his name, you are well fortified against the power of evil. Doesn't stop there, though. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, I have to tell you, for many years, I thought that breastplate of righteousness was Jesus. No. The breastplate of righteousness is faith and love in action. I can show you that. I can show you that over in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, verse 8, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. Faith and love as a breastplate. It is acted out. It is our righteousness. It is His power that is giving us the authority and the ability to walk in it. But when you walk down the street and you are walking out the Word of God in your life, you are defended against the enemy because you have a breastplate on. You had your time in the scripture. You had your time in prayer. You have walked in obedience to the command of God and you are not going to fall because Jesus is buckled around your waist and you have a testimony that you're walking in righteousness before God and you're not going to fall for this trickery of Satan. And notice it is not self-righteousness. It is faith and love. It is faith and love. With your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of provision or peace. In other words, part of this defense that we have to have in place against Satan is the certainty that God is going to provide for us. If you believe that you have to provide for yourself, the enemy will take you down. You cannot stand against the wiles of the devil as long as you believe that you're responsible for your family or for your finances or for your righteousness. Jesus Christ is responsible and he's the one that speaks peace into your life. In addition to all of this, Take up the shield of faith. So you have the breastplate on, and that's made of the same stuff as the shield is. Except this shield of faith can be moved quickly wherever it's needed. So wherever the enemy is coming in against you, you're going to have to raise up the shield of faith and say, Jesus, you're enough for me. So when the air conditioning goes down at the house and my wife has asthma and her life is threatened, I have to lift up the shield of faith and say, Jesus, I stand by faith for protection. And you're going to work out everything in your own plan. And if that means you have to send somebody here because you want me to testify that Jesus is Lord, then bring them on. You tell me what to do. You're responsible, Jesus. I'm not. And I believe that nothing can touch my life except by the hand of Jesus Christ. 
So every incident that comes into my life has been either brought directly by the hand of God or God has allowed Satan to shoot a fiery arrow at me and he has equipped me with a shield of faith to take that arrow into the shield of faith and put out its fire. Have you hear what I'm saying to you? We do not have to live in defeat any longer. We can have victory in Jesus Christ. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. Now, part of why you're here is to have your helmet polished up. In other words, the preaching of the word explains to your heart the way of salvation. And that's the helmet you wear. It's your mind. But when you've been lied to, as I have been lied to, when you've been told that you can never be victorious over sin, that you're always going to be a victim, that you never can rise up above it, that you just have to do the best job you can, and you're going to be defeated anyway, but Jesus has you covered and someday he'll save you, then your helmet has holes in it. And the enemy can kill you. Always, John Wesley said, when there is sin in the life of a Christian, it is because of bad theology. Examine what's being taught. And when you see what's being taught, you'll see where the justification for the sin comes from. And so there's a faulty helmet on the head. Take also the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, some of you have not yet discovered that the Word of God is an offensive weapon. And it's dangerous. If you were to come to my house and I had a shotgun laying on the dining room table, loaded, you would certainly keep your children at a distance. In fact, you might turn around and walk back out the door. You'd say, I don't want my child around that dangerous weapon. Pastor, what do you have a shotgun for? Well, I don't have a shotgun. But I have a very dangerous offensive weapon in my possession. It's called the Word of God. And the Word of God can be used in such a way that it's very dangerous to other people. Or it can be used to divide bone from marrow. Dividing the intent of the heart. And part of what we have to learn how to do is to pick this word up in love and kindness and do surgery in the hearts of men and women so that that sin is cut off and righteousness can spring up. You see, a branch has to be cut off the old tree and it has to be grafted into the new tree. And that means some loss of sap. It means some discomfort. It means some pain and there are going to have to be some bandages applied. It's the word of God that does this. That cuts it off. When you pick up the word of God. Be very careful you don't shoot someone accidentally. And be very careful how you use it. Because it is a powerful offensive weapon. Against the powers of darkness. But also don't be frightened of it. Be a warrior. Take your sword in your hand. And go to war against the enemy. Pray the scriptures. Pray the scriptures, read them aloud to the Lord in the prayer closet and say, I claim this for victory in you, Jesus. Shout aloud the praises of the Psalms to the Lord God of heaven. Sing them before the Lord. See, the Lord wants a people that he brings into unity as a body. And I, I thank God that you're here tonight. And I thank God that many of you will be here Sunday, that you've made a commitment to walk together with a people who have only one heart's desire, and that is to be poured out fully for Jesus Christ. 
not an institution, not some formal church, not somebody who's building body bucks and bricks, but instead a holy temple built into the Lord Jesus Christ at his command, at his design, so that he's in charge. A heart poured out for Jesus. And we want to reflect this as a body. We want to reflect Jesus as a body. And then he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the spirit on all occasions. That means when you're driving. It means when you're walking. It means while you're working. It means wake up praying. Go to sleep praying. Pray in your dreams. Pray, 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 pray. He hears us. He'll answer us. Pray on all occasions. All kinds of prayers and requests. Now with this in mind, be alert. And keep on praying for the saints. Now do you see this whole picture that I've shared with you tonight out of the spirit of the living God? There's a place of awesome joy. There's a place of awesome love and victory in the heart of Jesus Christ. And we have been kept out of this by the lies that we have believed, by the accusations of Satan against us. We have been snared by the enemy at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We have feasted on the apples of Sodom and the straw of Gomorrah. We have done this. And the time has come to cast it aside and say, Jesus, Bring me into your heart and to begin to just cry out until the full anointing of the Holy Spirit comes on our life. Until that liquid love of God flows through our being, cleansing, washing, healing, restoring, so that all of our life is then devoted to Jesus Christ. What joy! What power! This is what he wants to do in us. He wants daily a testimony of victory, not a daily testimony of tiredness, exhaustion, and defeat, and struggle. I mean, do you understand how the Christian world would look at a people who began to proclaim, we have victory in Jesus? So what do you mean you have victory in Jesus? You're just like us. What if they weren't just like the rest? What if they were like Jesus? Oh, tonight, I wasn't going to do an altar call, but I have to. I want to know, is there somebody here tonight? You've, you've maybe loved Jesus for a long time, but you love Jesus like you like ice cream or, or something else. Tonight, I want to know, is there something in your life that's blocking you from total consecration to Jesus? Is there a flame of fire burning in your heart tonight that says, I must have him? Tonight, if you want to consecrate yourself to, wholly to Jesus, and you are not consecrated now, you may be consecrated already, and I praise God for that, but tonight, if you know you're not consecrated wholly to Jesus, and you want to say, I want to be consecrated to Jesus, then come and let's pray. Oh, Jesus. Men and women are coming because they, they have a flame of fire that you've lit in their heart, Jesus, that says, I want to be consecrated to you. I want to be sold out. I want to be holy before you, Jesus. Lord, these men and women are saying they have not been totally consecrated. There's been sin standing before them. Lord, tonight they're saying they repent of that. Mighty God. This is something you're going to have to show us, Jesus. This is something you're going to have to open. Lord, I can speak the word, but unless your spirit quickens the word and shows each of these brothers and sisters where in their heart they have not been consecrated, Lord, they're going to be cast aside. Lord, I believe that you have made it possible in the power of Jesus to choose to walk and live a righteous life. Lord, I stand by faith for each of these that you will give them the gift. Lord, that you will give them the gift of a mighty will to choose to walk 
in obedience to your word to their heart, the total consecration will result. Mighty God, we're tired of being beat up. We're tired of the struggle. We're tired of the agony. Lord, we want the flow of our heart to be toward your heart and not toward darkness. No longer double-minded, Jesus. No longer having to battle. Jesus, I'm asking tonight for sanctification, total and complete in the lives of these precious ones. Thank you, Jesus. Let it be done according to your will and according to our will. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Like the woman at the well I will seek you For things That could not satisfy And then I heard my Savior speaking Draw from my word That never shall run dry Jesus Christ, my Lord.